Hi, church. Glad that you are here this weekend. I want to welcome all of our campuses, uh, not just Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch and Castle Rock and Lakewood, those that live stream us and those that will be listening um, later on. Uh, however you're a part of the greater JFC family, uh, we want to welcome you and we appreciate you being a part. Um, I want to give you an important date and some information. So let's do this. If you got a pen, grab a pen real quick. You want to write this down. Now, um, if you don't, we'll refer back to it in the next couple of weeks, but this is something that um, it, it's, a, it's a whole church involvement. We're going to uh, have all of our campuses participate in this. You heard us mention a little bit about the 5K, so I've got some, some qualifying information for you. So I've got a pen. Here's, uh, here's what it is. We're calling it um, a life day, and we're going to put these things as part of our life day. So it's going to be May 24th, 9 o'clock in the morning, Redstone Park. So the 24th of May, 9 o'clock, Redstone Park. The 5K is going to be called Run for Your Life. <laughs> we're going to do baptisms that day. That's going to be called Renew Your Life. And then we also have the barbecue fundraiser for the youth that day. And we're calling that Change a Life because it all goes into mission. So it is a life day. So it's Run for Your Life, Renew Your Life, Change a Life. And uh, here's how you would get involved in that. So in a, for instance, if you want to register for the 5K, go to our website. It's jfc.org slash life day. jfc.org slash life day. Then all the information to register for baptisms, to register for the 5K, all the information that we're going to do. We're going to do a whole uh, campus-wide thing. All of our campuses will be involved in this. We'll talk more about it, but we want you to get it on your calendar now. It's really important. We've got the whole thing reserved for ourselves, including the stadium, and uh, we'll be talking more about that in the, uh, in the days to come, but make sure and uh, get that down in your calendar. We want you to be a part of that. We're real excited. So it's JFC Life Day. Run for your life, renew your life, change your life, uh, change a life on that day, and we'll talk more about it. All right, in your notes, coming into all of our uh, campuses, you should have been handed the notes. If you'll grab them, we'll jump into our message called The Last Six. And you saw uh, the illustration on what our series is about, the last six uh, events uh, that we picked out. There were more than six, but we picked out six major ones leading up to the resurrection. And the last week, Pastor Evan began uh, our series talking about the entry. And um, here, here's the, so we're, we're coming up with nicknames for, for the staff guys. I'm going to start calling Evan the doctor because the guy's a genius, man. He is so smart. So you are from now on the doctor. <laughs> Dr. Martin. Whoa, bro. I didn't think about that. That'll, that'll work. Some of you are too old to even know what that is. So we'll, we'll just ride there. But Evan did a fantastic job. What a brilliant mind. God has given him to be able to teach the Word of God. And just, just, um, one, one of my sons came home and said, Dad, why aren't you that smart? And I, I yeah, so, <laughs> so I'm not telling you what doctor stands for. It's just a thing. Okay, um, so it's called The Last Six, and uh, the series will lead us through the last uh, six uh, days of Christ's life, six major events. Uh, Evan began with the uh, entry last week. I'm going to talk about the fig tree today. Now, um, I put, it's Mark chapter 11, and uh, you can follow along with me as I read it. And I put it at the transition point. If you know the scripture I'm about to read, this is where Jesus curses the fig tree. What do you take away from that as being one of the major events uh, from Christ's life? Maybe Jesus just doesn't like figs, right? No, it's got to be more than, than that right there. So Mark chapter 11, 12 through 14, verse 20 uh, and 21 reads this way. Uh, the next day, look at, my, look at my nifty glass holder thing that I've got. So I asked my staff, does this, does it look okay? 
I, I was trying to ask, tell me it's cool, and no one would tell me that. One of them said, uh, it's not very cool. And I said, is it cool if you're 50? And then they said, yeah, you can wear it because you're 50. So let me get my glasses in place. That had nothing to do with the, just thought I pointed out. Mark chapter 11, 12, 14, 20, and 21. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. Now, those words are important. We don't live um, really, um, for, for the most part, especially in our area, we don't have fig trees. And if you just read this on the surface, it doesn't make much sense. But the wording is absolutely important. So remember, uh, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. Remember that. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the tree you cursed has withered. Now, on the surface, let me just ask the question, doesn't it seem unfair that this poor fig tree just happened to be in the way when Jesus was hungry? I, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever considered that before, but it's like, the, I, what did this fig tree do? It, it was just happened to be the place where Christ saw it when he was hungry. But the wording of it actually um, does give us clues here and things that actually are teaching a lesson. So I guess the place to start would be the recognition that everything Jesus does is never done by accident. It's everything is on purpose and many times with dual meaning, meaning that he may say something directly, but he'll be doing something that's a, an actual illustration to that thing right there. Places that he would go and teach when he would talk about particular, particular things, something um, very relevant would have taken place on that spot where Christ is now teaching. So much of what he did was double meaning in that um, it, it, nothing was just by accident. So Jesus is not just hungry, at low blood sugar, looks at the tree, mad, that's it, you're done. Yep. Now, let's throw this out to you too. How many of you are thankful that God doesn't give that gift to you when you're grumpy? Yes. How many of you would not have a spouse? In, yes, so I, yeah, exactly. All right, let me, let me just quickly, I'll give you three facts about fig trees that you probably didn't know. So the first one is, and this is important because it goes with the wording here, and it may make a little more sense as to why or what Jesus was trying to teach when he did this. Number one, fig trees produce fruit first and then they leaf out. Now that's, that's unlike most trees that we have. They leaf first and then produce fruit, but fig trees are opposite. They actually fruit first and then leaf. So the Bible tells us that Christ saw the leaves on the tree, remember? So he went to the tree believing that he would find fruit. But then it makes the, uh, the jump that it's not the season for figs. Simply all that means is that uh, the harvest for figs wasn't yet. But the tree should have been producing fruit. It was, it was well within the probability that when Christ saw the tree, the tree should have been producing fruit. Now, Jesus knew everything. Nothing was by accident. He knew that the tree wasn't going to have fruit. So he's using it as an illustration, actually. There's more to it than Jesus just having low blood sugar at this point. That's not how you see this. So first, fig trees produce fruit, and then they leaf out. The second is, fig trees are symbolic in the Bible of abundance and fertility. 
Now, that, that's important because, remember, Christ does nothing by accident. So even where he goes to stand while he's teaching has a significance or a meaning to it. Now, I'm not trying to read more into this than is there, but truly, uh, if you look back through the Bible, the fig tree has two main understandings. It represents the nation of Israel, and it also speaks of abundance and fruitfulness. So that when Jesus is trying to teach on the very idea of something producing fruit, he chooses something not producing fruit that should be to illustrate his point. Last but not least, let me give you just this last one here, facts about fig trees you may not have known. The last one is that the fig tree in Scripture represents Israel. Most of the time when you read it prophetically throughout the Old Testament, Israel is represented as the fig tree. So that when Paul writes much of the New Testament, he will refer back to Israel being representative of a fig tree. So for instance, when the fig tree is not producing fruit, it's also a representation of the nation of Israel, supposed to be fruitful and blessed, not producing fruit. Does that make sense? So it's easy at times to point and go, well, you know, th that's exactly right. They, here they have the gospel for 2,000 years, and man, they've never produced fruit with it. Isn't it easy to point at other people and look beyond yourself? So just a thought here on that connection to Israel, because I'm going to come back to it uh, and point out that them is us and us is them. And it's an interesting thought. All right, so from these three facts about fig trees, we get clues that we're able to put the message together on. So there's dual meaning here. The first one is the fig tree represents Israel. Now let me just throw this out to you. I, I'm not teaching about Israel today. I have a great heart for Israel. Uh, by the way, there's still room uh, on our trip to go. How'd you like that I worked that in to the, to the deal right there? Yeah, so if, if we actually need eight more people, and if you are interested in going, let me push you over the fence, man. Go to Israel with us. I, I want to go to Israel, so go. Okay, so that, that's this September. If you need more information, jfc.org, you can find it there. Um, but it represents the fig tree. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, whenever we think about Israel, uh, many people today have what they call replacement theology, which was this, that when Jesus um, initially talked about the new covenant, yes, God in the Old Testament, he, he did swear to Israel. He did make his covenant with Israel, but Israel rejected him. So Christ found a way to go around Israel and the church becomes a spiritual substitution for Israel. And the technical theology, is called replacement theology, and it's of the devil. And here's why I say that. If you go back and read Romans, the book of Romans, but in particular chapter 11, Paul does an entire thesis on the fact that the Jews have been blinded only so that the Gentiles could come into the kingdom. But that God has not pushed them away forever and ever, and at the end of, of the season, for Gentiles to come into the kingdom, God is going to save all of Israel. Say, Pastor, where do you get that from? Well, it's called your Bible. And just quickly, I'll point it out to you. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you're listening. Romans, Romans chapter 11 in uh, verse 24, Paul's writing to uh, the Gentiles. By the way, Gentile, the very, the very term simply means without God. Without God. So Israel was supposed to have the covenant with God. And everyone that's not Israel is put into the covenant of being without God, but God in his mercy doesn't come up with a different covenant. He allows us to become a part of the covenant, the covenant. So, so Paul, when he's writing, talks about that very thing. So in Romans chapter 11, verse 24, this is what he says, for if you were cut off 
from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will those who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Now listen to this, verse 25. For I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Verse 26. And after that, all of Israel will be saved. So God has not done away with his covenant with Israel. And this message is not, not about Israel, but I'm pointing out theologically speaking, uh, all that God has done has, has made a way possible for us to be grafted into the branch where he's given his covenant to Israel. And when he's done with everything, Israel is still a part of that covenant. Okay, so why is this important? If the, uh, the, the fig tree represents Israel, and Jesus is making a point, talking about the fig tree is supposed to be a, a place where we can count on fruitfulness, and we can count on the fact that it is going to produce, and it's not producing. If it represents Israel, and we're grafted into that branch, then we're talking about us too. That how, here's, here's a better way to say it. You are expected to bear fruit. You're expected to produce in your life. Now, now some people, especially if legalism runs, runs thick in your family tree, you think in terms of, I've got to produce fruit in my life. Some of you just heard me say, you've got to go out and try harder. Remember the old Avis commercial, We Try Harder? That, that's not God's slogan for the church. And too many of us are trying hard. Trying harder is not the issue. It's God's problem to produce fruit in your life. What's your part of it? Present yourself to God so he can do that. Make yourself available. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. So, so very quickly, from these clues, these facts about the fig tree, we get the message. One is that it refers to Israel, and we're grafted into that branch. The second one is just simply that, that it's talking about us. Jesus is making a point on the most significant week of his life. Think about this. Of all weeks, which week was the most important? This week. They're all, but this week matters, man. And so everything he's doing has a point to it. He sees a fig tree that's supposed to be producing. He goes to the fig tree. It's not producing when it should. And he curses the fig. That's pretty harsh. So what's the point? He doesn't like figs? No. He simply is saying, you're supposed to be producing. And when you're not, man, that's a curse. It's not the way. It's against nature. The very nature of God in your life should produce, be producing fruit. You agree with that? Yes. All right, let me, let me take it a little further. Matthew chapter 7, verse 20 and through 23. Now, uh, let, let me ask it this way. At all of our campuses, um, so, so Lakewood people right now and Highlands Ranch people and Castle Rock people, including um, all, all of Lone Tree people, I want you, if you have been here for any length of time, and heard me teach on the word therefore, raise your hand. Let me see. Okay, what do you do if you read the word therefore? You have a great teacher. Okay, so verse, thank you for saying amen. I know it was only one of you, but I'll take, I'll take it. <laughs> so Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, begins with, 
therefore. So, all right, so remember, we're going to go back and read then the preceding verse because that's a connecting word. You can't get the meaning of that verse without reading the preceding verse. But let's begin there. So, therefore, by their what? Okay, so in context, we're talking about fruitfulness right now. This is Christ teaching. He's teaching on fruitfulness. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not by what they produce as far as work. And not by their gifts. Notice Jesus doesn't say, by their gifts, you'll know them. And interestingly enough, I wrote this down in my notes. I just thought this was a way to say it. We're used to quantifying how we are by how much we accomplish. I want you to think about that. When we go to judge how we're doing, we always measure it by how much we're accomplishing in life right now. Yes or no? So we, we tend to judge ourselves. Another way to say it, we tend to judge ourselves by how much of our gifts are in operation. But that's not how Christ ever quantifies how we're doing. He quantifies how we're doing by intimacy with him. We measure it by how much we're producing with our gifts. Jesus always measures it by the relationship. So let me finish reading this and I'll, I'll show you. So therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Now look at this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders or miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never what? It's an interesting wording here. All right, so let me go back. Let me repeat it one more time. When we measure how we're doing, we measure it generally by how much we're accomplishing. But this verse right here is the exact opposite. These are people who apparently, listen, they're calling him Lord. They, they, they are believing this, when it says on that day, what day is it? This is the judgment day. This is the day that every person stands in front of God and gives an account for their life. So on that day, people will say to him, Lord, Lord, thinking in their mind, you're my Lord. And then they're going to measure, here's how I know you're my Lord. Didn't I do? Do what? I prophesied, which is a gift. I cast out demons, a gift. I did miracles, a gift in your name. So they're measuring how they're doing or their inclusion in the kingdom by what they're producing. Yes or no? Jesus' answer to them is not, let me get my clipboard and check how many miracles you did. How many times you, you healed people? He never, he doesn't even breach the subject. What does he say to them? Depart from me because I what? I didn't know you. We measure how we're doing by what we're producing. Jesus measures how we're doing by our intimacy with him. I, thank you. It was good. It was really brilliant. <laughs> Look what you've done to me, Evan. I'm in a competition to prove I'm not stupid now. I'm failing. <laughs> All right. We began with the word therefore. So Jesus says, to finish up the verse, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Look at this. Depart from me, you who practice 
lawlessness. God, that is so confusing to me because these are not people who are out trying to go against God. Where's the lawlessness at? So the lawlessness is this. They're trying to get their righteousness from what they do. And that makes them lawbreakers. What he's pointing to is your righteousness comes from a relationship with me. Now you're not a lawbreaker. Now you've fulfilled the law. Do, do you, you get what I'm saying? All right, so we've got to read the therefore part. So the preceding verse is verse 19. And look at this. Every what? When I say what, we all open our mouths and a word comes out together. So every what? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. All right, we began this talking about a tree. Jesus is not being arbitrary when he comes from Bethany and points to a tree. It is planned. It is understood. And for those who have eyes to see or ears to hear or who want to look for what Christ is saying, the deeper meaning can always be found in what Jesus is doing. This is not arbitrary under any circumstance. He is using a tree because it is symbolic of Israel. We're grafted into that branch, and he's making a point in his last week. You're supposed to be producing fruit. That's good. Not looking okay, producing fruit. And if you're not, we get called for not producing fruit. Now, some are hearing, okay, so I've got to go home and produce. I mean, look, this verse, uh, Matthew chapter 7, 20 and 23, those are scary words to me. Anybody else find that to be a little little disconcerting? Lord, Lord, we did all. Look, you, you recognize the people in this world are not out trying to cast out demons, prophesy and do miracles, right? The people doing those things are people who believe they're calling on the name of Christ while they do it. And yet they find themselves on the day when it's too late to do anything about it. Having measured their lives entirely the wrong way. That's scary, folks. That's scary. So why would that even be included in the gospel? Because I think we're supposed to take a look and recognize our righteousness will never come. And it's easy to fall into the trap of, I am righteous because of the good stuff I do. When it always is about relationship with Christ. Always is about relationship with him. Our security, I wrote this in my notes, it's not in yours. Our security isn't found in our goodness. Our security is always going to be found in our friendship with Christ. Do you agree with that statement? You know, we live in a day and an age where the very word Christian today takes on the meaning of a person who believes things about Christ to be true. But by definition, the word Christian is not a person who believes things about Christ. They believe in the Christ and they are disciples of him. So today people claim the title Christian by believing that he was a good man or he was a prophet. Or yeah, I even believe he was the son of God. But there's an entire difference in believing things about him and in believing in him and all that he did is for me and now it changes my life because I have nothing else but him. Does that make sense? 
So I put three bullet points real quick below chapter 7, verse 19. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Let me give you three truths that I think are absolutely necessary in what Jesus is trying to teach in this little passage. One, he always talks in relationship to him and us that, think about, what's the little song? I am the vine, and you are the branch, and his banner over us is love. Jesus is always the one where we get all that we, how do you say that? No, no growth on a plant can do its thing by itself. So, so it, if once it's separated, I, I, maybe here's a bit. I, I bought some roses for Chris the other day. Just happened to be in the store, saw these beautiful orangey colored roses, and she loves that color. So oh, I buy them. I, I, instead of going home with them, though, I, I went to the office. And as is the case, um, I, I think I'll be in the office for, you know, this little set time right here. And as soon as I get in there, it's just Katie bar the door. Whoever can get in to see him before he can sneak back out has a, has a crack at him. And so, um, unfortunately, I parked my car in the sun. I set the roses on the seat. And I was in there for about four hours. I thought I would just go in and do a quick appointment and get home. So how many of you know what flowers look like after that? So you pick, they're beautiful, but once disconnected from the source, it's only a matter of time. And any stress just further enhances that, huh? So I bring them home. <laughs> I had this nice card. We, we have just been so busy, and I, I just wanted to tell her I'm thinking about you. So I enter this group of roses, and they're all... <laughs> if I do a demonstration, <laughs> it looks like that. <laughs> it was the thought that counts, right? <laughs> so funny enough, cut the stems, pour the solution in the water, and put the roses in the vase, and literally within... 30, 35 minutes, those babies bounced right back. They looked awesome. She, she actually got the point I was trying to make. <laughs> so, so what I'm trying to say here, disconnected from its source, none of us, disconnected from our source, it's only a matter of time before death enters into the picture. And we, we can run around talking about what was, but it's a reference to, to the, what is right now. Jesus always refers present tense. I'm the vine. You're the branch. He who abides in me and I abide in him, that person produces life. So the word abide very quickly. It's one of the few words that goes from Hebrew into Greek almost maintaining the exact same meaning. It's very similar in its wording. And, and the word abide is the word in modern Hebrew for lodging. And it's a word picture meaning your residence. 
So, so Hebrew is a very poetic language. The language itself paints pictures when it's spoken. So here's what Jesus is saying using the Hebrew towards it. I'm the vine, you're the branch. If you live in me, and I live in you, the output is life. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to try to, I'm going to produce fruit. (laughs) It'll happen. The house we live in right now, we've lived in for 14 years, coming on 15 years. It's just the place I go. So I don't don't leave the office and everything. Where where am I going to go home now? You know, they say after 50, you wonder that from time to time. But I, I still, when I get in my car, I know exactly where I'm going. And I'm comfortable there. It's where I live my life at. Does that make, I mean, you just know, it's just, that's the place that you go to. This is the picture it's trying to be painted. Going to Christ and living your life in him is supposed to be as natural as when you go home. You just, that's your house. That's, you, that's where you go. You're just comfortable there. That's where you live. You don't go someplace else to live. I don't go to my neighbor's house. I don't go to my friend's house. To, I go to my house. My stuff is at my house. That's where my life is at. Does that make sense? That's the very idea here. Jesus is saying that's supposed to be the natural relationship between the two of us. You abide in. This is where you come home. It's where you live your life. It's where you get up in the morning and where you come home for lunch if you can. And at nighttime, this is where you sleep. All that you do. Your stuff is here. We visit here. We hang out here. Our life is conducted at this place. That's what he's saying. This is what it means to abide. Abiding is not coming to church, and when we go to close the message, we have 15 minutes of response. Now I'll abide with Christ. That's not abiding. That's like going to a friend's house to visit. You don't go over there, take your shoes off, and put your feet on the table, I hope. But you do that at your house because you're comfortable. We're supposed to be comfortable in abiding. Does this... So he's the vine, we're the branch. He speaks of intimacy, and intimacy is what always produces fruitfulness. You get no fruit without intimacy. True with children, and true with Christ. Two, gifts and fruit are not the same thing. Gifts and fruit are completely different. Just because you have gifts in your life does not mean it's God's stamp of approval that everything's okay between you and him. Gifts and the call of God are given without ever being revoked. So you could get a gift from God and go live your life the exact opposite of everything he wants and he'll never take the gift away. But we measure our lives by how many gifts we have. Everything's got to be okay because I've got to, I rebuke and I can move and I can do miracles and I can pray. That has nothing to do with how you're doing with Christ. It's all based on intimacy with him. And here's the thing about intimacy. Nobody knows but you and Jesus. I can't tell. You you get what I'm saying? So we'll know them by their fruits, but you recognize even fruit is not a thing that's readily always seen in a person. Agreed? Let's give you the last one here then. The fruit of a believer's life is found in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mercy, gentleness, self-control. If you want to know if you're producing fruit... Are you finding more love 
in your life? Are you operating in more joy? Do you have more peace? Is patience working? Goodness, mercy, gentleness, self-control. Are those things, if you're having those things happen, that's the personality of Jesus. And when Jesus lives in you and you live in him, that's what's reproduced inside of you. That make sense? Let me wind it up with John 15. Theologically speaking, this is called the priestly high prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus prays not only for the disciples of that time, but for all of us today. It's a current prayer. So in John 15, 4 through 7, first three words, what? Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Here's what he says of himself. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, look what happens, bears much fruit. Without me, you can do... Let's say that again. Without me, you can do... Wow. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them to be thrown into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. What a powerful verse of Scripture that is. Most people, when they choose to exercise that verse, use the last verse. The last part of it that says this. Ask what you desire and it will be done for you. But there's a whole caveat to it, isn't there? Abide in me, I in you. The person who does this produces much fruit. Apart from me, you can do. If you do this, ask anything that you want, and it will be done for you. Wow. Wow. Let's come to the end of the message, and the thought that we've got especially now that we're paying such attention to what, what, what do we connect to God over? What is, this, what is this going to be? It's got to be about this only thing that we got to abide in Christ. And anything else, folks, anything else is, is wrong. So how are you doing with the abide issue? So I just said, now we come to the end of the message, we go to the connect time for 15 minutes, we're going to try to abide. You can't just abide for, that's not abiding. That's visiting. Jesus doesn't invite you to visit. He invites you to live. Yeah. All right. Worship pastors are going to come. All of our campuses, they'll close us out right now. I thought again, let's take this first opportunity to worship and make it about abiding. Let's just listen. Let's just present ourselves to him. Here I am. You want to abide in me. I want to give myself to you. Let's let that work in us. I believe beyond anything that we're doing in our church right now, the most important thing, the end-all be-all is not the message. The end-all be-all to everything we're doing is what happens when God touches our lives. And it's the focus of what we're trying to accomplish as a church. 
And I don't want you just to say, okay, good message, or I like that style, or uh, that presentation. I always want you to go, I felt God speak to me, touch me, draw me, change me, fill me, help me. We have the opportunity to do that right now. So in this first song, I'm just going to ask you to sit, just listen. I know it's sort of become the thing we're doing right now. I'm so convinced that unless God does this, nothing else happens. And then our worship pastors, when we get to song two, will release for communion, to use the crosses, if you need prayer, if you want to just worship, all of those things will be available. For this first one right now, sit and present yourself to abide. How are you doing in that area of your life? Don't answer how you're doing by everything that you're producing. Answer it by the intimacy issue. How are you abiding with Christ? So Father, we commit this time to you. All of us together, Lord, all of our campuses in unity, we want to pursue you. We want to know you. We want you to fill our lives. We need you. Help us right now and speak to us right now. God, we make ourselves available. We want to abide in you. Produce great fruit inside of us. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Listen up.